You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now present the Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. everyone and welcome to the Health Hub. I'm Kathy Biasa, your host, and along with our producer, Alex Diaz, we would like to welcome you to our show this morning. Alex, good morning. How are you? I'm keeping well, thank you. Good morning, Kathy. Good morning to our listeners. It's, I keep trying to think of a different way to say good morning to you, but it's all, you know, there's only really one way to say hi, how are you, good morning, so yeah, I, I keep um, trying to change that up, but there's really no better way. Well, you would think by now, with the fact that the station is running with three different languages, you would figure that I would be able to do that, at least, <laughs> but... Uh, Why don't you, yeah, come with a different language, answer me in Spanish or something like that. Hola, amiga. Hola, yeah, that would be fun. <laughs> Hello, oh. friend. Hello, friend. That's about it. But you are doing well. That's the most important thing. Yes, I am. I'm keeping well. Thank you. Excellent. It's actually an afternoon here. We're taping this show today. Um, so to that end, there's no opportunity to to call in. But please do follow us. We are on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And we are at the Health Hub RMC on all of those three spots. And email us at thh at radiomaria.ca if you have any questions that you'd like answered. And your continued support of the show is so appreciated, along with your uh, requests for topics and guests. We do our best to uh, to go and hunt them down for you. And please subscribe to our podcast. We are The Health Hub. We are on iTunes, SoundCloud, all your favorite podcast platforms. And you can find our podcast on the Radio Maria website, which is radiomaria.ca, and on my website, which is kathybiasse.com. Uh, our website was having, Radio Maria's website was having a bit of difficulty. Uh, was yes, uh, are we several, several months ago, yes. And we're but, up now? Uh, we're up now, for Excellent. sure. Yeah, that's right. I guess now is not going to be when the show's aired. But yeah, so everything will be on there, which is which is great. I wanted to do something a little bit different today. Instead of me reciting to you some health news or facts, I wanted to, Alex, you're going to be part of this. Sounds good. So we've all, you know, heard urban myths about different health things. We've, we've grown up, uh, you know, with wives' tales and so forth. So I've just pulled, uh, I think, four of them, four of them together. And I, I just, I'm going to ask you whether it is actually true or false. Okay. So pop here we quiz. go. All right. It is a pop quiz. See how well you've been listening to the show for the last two and a half years. Aha. Okay. <laughs> no, we're not doing that. We're not doing that. That, that might not I work out well. I have a coffee this yeah, morning, so. That just may not work out well, so we're going to go this way. <laughs> All right, then. Okay. Hit Our, us with the questions, Here's Kathy. the question. Okay. Our tongue. Does it have specific taste zones for sweet, sour, salty, and bitter? Is that true or is that false? I'm going to say true. You're going to say true. In fact, it does not have specific areas. All right, then. All of the tastes, mm-hmm. all of the, you know, the ones that I just mentioned, along with uh, a fifth taste called umami, which is savory, they can be sensed all over the tongue. 
So there's not like you can only taste sweet on one side. You can only taste bitter. So there's sensory receptors for all of the different flavors, all the different tastes. See, now that you're explaining it to me, it does make sense. It does. But you know what? I was even taught, I think, in school that, you know, I I don't remember the exact, but the top of the tongue was uh, less sensitive and therefore it was more prone to taste this and and the right side was maybe the sweet. But but what what you're saying, it's all over. You should have the same sensories in terms of your taste buds all the way through? Well, they'll have receptors for the different... Okay. So there are... The, the sides of the tongue are more sensitive overall than the middle, and the back of our tongue is more sensitive to bitter tastes. But that okay. doesn't mean we don't experience the um, the bitter tastes all over. Right. Okay. Number two. When we cut our hair regularly, it grows faster. I'm going to say, <laughs> I just think at this point in my life, I'm starting to lose my hair. Yeah. So <laughs> I, keep, I, I keep going to the haircut, keep going, keep going and hoping to have more more growth, but uh, I'm going to say false. On uh, that you're one. right on that. <laughs> I'm false. I was not planning on that direction. Oh, man. <laughs> that is absolutely false. It can look better, oh, but it does not you, increase Kathy. the growth if you cut your hair more often than not. So that was one that so I thought. That's a bit of a shame, to. but uh, it is a bit of a it's shame. It's unfortunate that I got that correct, but that's all right. Well, we didn't bring up the wives' tale about rubbing your head, so you can continue on with that one until we, uh, we uh, you know, broach that subject. I thought that just releases from the stress. But yeah. anyway, <laughs> you're, rub, you're rubbing your hair off. Maybe that's why you're losing it. <laughs> anyway, we won't go there. Anymore. We won't go there. Now, this one isn't Next actually question. this one isn't actually a myth, but all it right. is probably um, something that we assume. So I'll ask you the question and you can you can give me your 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 best guess. Women have longer colons than men. This is a random guess, but false. True, 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 true. Women on average, their colon is about 10 centimeters longer than a man's. So what this means is the, it, it takes longer for waste to uh, be eliminated from a woman's body than a man's body. And it can, you know, it can explain a little bit. Women often suffer more from upset stomach and bloating than men. So, uh, you know, where a man's colon is kind of very gently <laughs> shaped and the flow is much easier. The women's have a little bit more curve and uh, a little bit more difficult for waste to be eliminated. Interesting. It is interesting, isn't it? All right, here's another one. Fingers, uh, finger, fingernails, try this again. Fingernails and hair continue to grow after we die. False. That is correct. It is false. What happens is the skin dehydrates and it makes it look as though hair and nails have grown. So I'm batting 500? I actually haven't kept track. I wasn't going to do that to you, but okay, <laughs> we'll keep we'll keep track. 500. Oh, shoot. Then I shouldn't have had an even number of questions. I, I have six here. Oh, that's okay. I can retire. All right. No, no. I can we'll go to the Hall going. of Fame with the 500. No, no. No, that never works. No. Um, I wanted to be the first, but it clearly. Well, you know what? You got <laughs> Just grab the next two. If yeah, you well, want, If you want, I can cheat. No one will notice. I can nod or <laughs> shake my head. Anyways, here's Thanks the next one. This is nice. one that we've all grown up with. Starve a fever, feed a cold. Is that good or bad? Or does it do anything? Sorry, can you repeat that, please? Starve a fever, starve a fever, feed a cold. Um, that is 
Is this still a true and false question? True and false. Do you starve a fever and okay. feed a cold? I'm going to have to say false on that one. That's true. You're right. It is false. Nope. You may feel like not eating, which is fine. Uh, That may be your body telling you that it's not really uh, ready for food, but you don't need to go out of the way not to eat. If you feel like eating, eat. It doesn't do you any good. Yeah, that's right. So you are now one above 500. Very good. And the last one, an apple a day keeps the doctor away. I love that saying, but I'm going to have to say false. No, Alex, it's so true. It's so true. One fresh apple contains the uh, antioxidant. Let's try that again. One fresh (laughs) apple contains antioxidant. Do you mean I get to try my answer again? No, no, you're absolutely. Now you're you're right back to 500. Never mind. Instead of you trying to say that big word, antioxidant, um, it it contains about 1,500 milligrams of vitamin C. Vitamin C is very important for your immune system and to keep us healthy and functioning. And it's also a very good source of fiber. So there you are. You're three for six. I should have I should have calculated before uh, actually numbered the questions before I came in. But well, you're not a loser. You're right in the middle. That's perfect. There you go. Okay, so on to today's show. We have a very, very interesting gift, uh, guest, and he's a gift. He's a gift. He is a gift, and he's he a great a guest. guest. For sure. um, Wade Lightheart. He's very well known in uh, the nutrition and health field. He is a three-time Canadian all-natural bodybuilding champion who competed as a vegetarian. He's a former Mr. Universe competitor, host of the Awesome Health podcast. Uh, Wade is one of the world's premier authorities on natural nutrition and training methods. Having majored in sports science at the University of New Brunswick, he has authored numerous books on health, nutrition, and exercise, which have sold in over 80 countries. Wade also serves as an advisor to the anti-cancer, to the American Anti-Cancer Institute, and is the co-founder and director of Education of Bio-Optimizers, a digestive health company. He's been in the health industry for over 25 years, coached thousands of clients, and is sought out by athletes and high-performance-oriented individuals worldwide for his advice on how to optimize their health and fitness levels. Bio-Optimizers has been featured on many of the biggest podcasts in the industry, including Bulletproof by Dave Asprey, Ben Greenfield Show, Barbell Shrugged, and many, many others. Few alive have traveled farther or crusaded harder on behalf of helping individuals transform their digestive health, wellness, and overall lives than Wade Lightheart. After competing in Mr. Universe and his health failing him following a competition victory, Wade began to search for answers. In the process, he learned so much about what makes digestion work, along with other principles that form what he calls the awesome health system. This is going to be a very interesting show. Lots of learning points here. We're going to talk about um, training uh, in in top-level sports as a vegetarian, Uh, some of the myths that go along with uh, athletic performance, digestive health, and we're going to talk a bit about digestive enzymes. So all of these things we will be talking about when we return. Me free. 
You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now continue with the program, The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you for joining us again. Today's show is being taped, so no opportunity for call-in. But do follow us on our social sites. We are on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and we are at the Health Hub RMC. Lots of things on that site, as well as our guests and show updates. We have lots of health tips uh, coming your way. On to the show. Wade, thank you so much for joining us. It's a real pleasure to have you on. Oh, thanks for having me. It's, uh, It's an honor. And Wade is a fellow Canadian, by the way. I'm not sure if you uh, if you all picked that up in the bio, but he's a fellow Canadian, so even extra special for us here on the Health Hub. Sweet. Um, well, and to that end, actually, just Wade uh, just told me he's moving on to California, so he, he's uh, missing uh, our winter here and, and taking in Venice Beach in California. So, so good for you, good for you. It's not been too nice here the last uh, little bit. So, Wade, what has set you on this uh, journey? So many profound things that you've done and experienced, and I know we can't get them all out in uh, on one show. But what was really the impetus for you, really discovering health and and bettering yourself, and then spreading that out to everybody well like most people it's it, it comes out of crisis and in in uh, the asian cultures and chinese and japanese kaishu script they call crisis an opportunity they actually write uh, together uh, or you know, sometimes interpreted as danger and when i was 15 years old i mean i grew up kind of like every other canadian kid playing sports and hockey and you know, in a very rural environment in a place called New Brunswick, Canada, which is right next to Maine for our U.S. listeners. And uh, everything was kind of normal. And when I was 15 years old, three things happened to me in a very short period of time. And that was number one, uh, my sister, who was four years, my senior, was diagnosed with cancer. She was 18 at the time. And I watched her go through the medical model before she died at the age of 22. Mm. So that had a very profound impact on me at an early age. And the fact that, number one, your health isn't a guarantee. Your life isn't a guarantee. And then also being exposed to, um, you know, quote unquote, treatment for this condition for what was she was a robust athlete at the time. And uh, in the military and things like that. And it was, it was very strange to kind of see that the treatment was making her more sick. And I, I, being naive, I was like, well, this doesn't really make any sense to me. And I knew that there was something missing in the model that we had. Simultaneously, um, she had given me, uh, we moved to actually, well, get the first second thing. We had moved to a very rural place. It was five miles to my nearest neighbor. The telephone poles ended at our door. It was on a dirt road. I sometimes have to take a snowmobile out to get to the bus, which was an hour drive to school. So I, I, had, I had a lot of time where I was by myself. I was removed from my social peers, the environment I was. And it was a beautiful resort that my parents were taking care of. And 500 acres in the middle of the wilderness. It was gorgeous, but not some place that you want to go when you're 15. And so the, on, on hindsight, though, that was great because it, it cultivated and developed reflective processes and, and many internal processes that I probably wouldn't have developed had I been in another environment as, as challenging as it was. And then the third thing was, is my sister had given me a bodybuilding uh, magazine, uh, had this cover of Muscle and Fitness at the time, Troy Zuclato with Mr. California, he just won, and there's two pretty girls on it, and being a 15-year-old boy driven mad with testosterone, I thought, oh, my own maybe I could get girls like this if I had muscles. And, and so <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I bought the Joe Weider lie. 
Anyway, <laughs> uh, so I, I started training. I, I, I didn't have a gym, but I went off and, and built a gym in, in my barn. We had a big barn there. Was, like I said, it was a rural area, and, and literally it was like, you know, the Rocky gym when he went to Russia in, mm-hmm. in the movies. And, you know, I had sawhorses and I had a little York barbell set in the thing and I had a pull, pull down machine that I made with pulleys and had a weight thing that hooked on it. And if I had to, I had to be under control or it smacked me in the head and all sorts of different things. But that was my early foundational training. I found, discovered Arnold Schwarzenegger. And he said that uh, you could achieve anything with uh, a positive attitude, self-discipline and hard work. And I hadn't heard that message before in the environment that I would heard hard work, but I didn't hear the self-discipline or or the positive attitude. And I quickly incorporated those ideologies, uh, him as my kind of mentor at the time through his books and his writings and how he appeared in magazine. Of course, his fame also had an impact on his physicality on camera and aspired that, well, maybe I could be healthy if I built up my body and built up my muscles. And, you know, that was the foundation of that journey led to exercise physiology at the University of New Brunswick. And then, which I felt was a good foundation, but was just a collection of, of information. There was no synthesi- synthesized component to an approach to health or an approach to fitness or an approach to performance or optimization or any of these things that I was interested in. And so what I went out embarked upon after that was to find out, seek out mentors who had produced the results I wanted, not just for themselves, but they were able to coach and teach other people. And that I've continued that process to this day to to develop the systems and practices and principles that we adhere in the awesome health philosophy. So many things came to mind there. My son, when he started on his path to bodybuilding himself, that was the first book I got him was Arnold Schwarzenegger. So funny. And secondly, I can see why you want to go to California, um, especially at this time of the year. But that, you know, necessity does uh, is the mother of all invention, isn't it? And um You know, from my own history, it is, it's true. It's not until you're actually put in that place where you want to make something better. You're really motivated to do it. Now, an interesting path I really want to go down because it's not something we've really done on this show. There are a lot of myths about bodybuilding and nutrients needed and this and that and the other. And to be um, at the top of your game back when you did it as a vegetarian bodybuilder, that must have been so foreign to so many people that you competed with. Tell me how you got on this vegetarian path and then was able to transform that and gain all the nutrients that you needed to become tops in your field. Yeah, so uh, what had happened as I had gone through the kind of quote-unquote traditional bodybuilding route and it got to the national championships in 1998, and um, after competing in that contest, I quickly recognized, you know, uh, at the time, uh, Dorian Yates uh, had just given way to Ronnie Coleman. And uh, this was kind of the, the mass monsters that kind of took over the sport. And I realized that regardless of whatever I would do, uh, I was going to have to use an extraordinary amount of drugs in order to be competitive in that area. And that I didn't want to go down that road. I just realized that you know, even if I was to do that, you know, would I be able to beat those athletes? Probably not. So it was kind of an end game that was leading to nowhere. And, and, and I was a little dis- disillusioned for a bit. And so I moved out to the West Coast and and started a personal training business and a supplement store and kind of kicked around. And, and what happened is I got into, uh, you know, 
grieving the loss of that career, got into, you know, partied a little bit and got a little bit off track. And then when I came around, I, I found Eastern philosophy through Paramahansa Yogananda and, and meditation and, and taking this practice. And I started doing that and a little bit, about six months into that, I read a book by his spiritual teacher called, uh, it was called The Holy Science by Sri Yukteswar. And he did this really amazing explanation of the uh, human sensory environment, the human nervous system, the human digestive system. It's a physiological response, it's emotional response, and psychological response as compared to other animals in the selection of food. There was a lot of things in that book, but that was one of the areas. And, and he had recommended a, uh, a, a plant-based diet, essentially. And I thought, well, that was pretty radical, you know, coming from the bodybuilding world where you, you know, you're trying to get one gram per pound of body weight a day, et cetera, et cetera. So I said, well, I'm going to give it a little experiment to this for a couple of weeks. So I did. I tried, uh, I tried it for two weeks. I didn't dry up and blow away. So I went for two weeks more and uh, felt great. And I said, well, I'll try it for another month. And at the end of two months, I just said, you know, I think I'm done. And I never went back. So I'm not a vigilante vegetarian. I think everybody should select a diet that, you know, is right for them and right for their genetics and body type. But I started to experiment with this. And then I came up with the idea. Well, people said, well, you can't build muscle. You can't be successful in the sport if you're a vegetarian. Keep in mind, at this time, there was no plant-based proteins. There was no plant-based athletes. There was, the, the only two I'd ever heard of was a guy by the name of Bill Pearl and a guy by the name of Andres Kaling, uh, who are the predecessors in all of the history. So I went, I'm going to give it a shot. So I did. And uh, I decided that, well, if I was going to prove, I needed to take my philosophy, prove it in the real world, and that is a competitive environment. So what had happened is during my retirement, they had started to advent uh, drug-tested programs. So we had a little bit more of a playing level playing field. Mm -hmm. So I said, I'm going to compete in drug-tested contests and uh, see if I can become a successful bodybuilder without drugs and without me. And then if I can do that, well, then I have something to prove. And it turns out um, it took me, and I, I made a lot of mistakes. Don't get me wrong. I don't, don't just run out and do this because Wade said it can be done. There's, there's a lot of things that you can do wrong. And I did a, most of them. <laughs> so, um, and, and partly it was because I was adapting a meat-eating mentality to a plant-based diet. And, and that'll get you in trouble every single time. Uh, you have to adhere to the principles of each philosophy independent of, uh, you know, so if you're a ketogenic guy like my business partner, Matt, then you've got to follow those principles. If you're a plant-based guy like me or if you're somewhere in the middle of paleo or whatever, you follow those principles. But there's a lot of crossover. Uh, probably 80% of the principles are the same. And then 20% are nuances which suit various genetics and lifestyle uh, choices. But I, I went into it uh, and, and had outstanding success. In fact, uh, um, although... I would say that after the Mr. Universe contest in 2003, I really pushed myself and then I stayed on a contest condition for about nine months, which is, you really shouldn't. A contest condition is, I would say, suboptimal body fat levels. It's a cosmetic level of fitness, but mm -hmm. it's certainly not a functional level of fitness. It really can compromise your health at that level. You're only supposed to stay there for a week or two. And I stayed there for nine months. And that had consequences I didn't anticipate. Uh, after the contest, I gained 42 pounds of fat and water in 11 weeks. And I uh, was shocked that here I was 16 years into my career. I had hit the highest ideals and, you know, cosmetic idea of bodybuilding. I won the national championships. I um, placed, uh, I think, 13th in the Mr. Universe contest. Didn't use any drugs, didn't use any chemicals, didn't eat any meat. And then I crashed and burned. 
And I thought, God, was it my diet? What was, what was going on? And the good, I had the good fortune of meeting a fellow by the name of Dr. Michael O'Brien, who was a senior citizen. He had pure, clear skin, hardly any wrinkles. He had eyes that could pierce through. He was a physical specimen. He had full of vitality and energy. And I said, wow, what is it that I'm missing, Dr. O'Brien? He said, and this changed my life. He said, wait, you've learned to build the body from the outside in. You haven't learned to build the body from the inside out. Mm -hmm. And he put me on a regimen of enzymes and probiotics and minerals and uh, a variety of things. And I went on even on a raw food diet for a little while. And in six months, I recaptured my health and my vitality and actually took it to another level as well as my performance. We opened up uh, an information company. We called it a freaky big naturally vote because I really was concerned that if people followed the, the, the quote unquote traditional bodybuilding program or, or even tried to adapt the, that kind of mentality to a plant-based diet, they're going to run into trouble uh, like I did. And Matt and I over the next, you know, seven or eight years ended up coaching 15,000 people worldwide and transform them. We were kind of like the original biohackers. We were talking about cold therapy and mind machines and, uh, electro microcurrent technology and, and meditation and hypnosis and all these different things that no one re- was doing in that time in, as part of the regimen. Cause I had to leverage all these in order to be successful uh, and, uh, and experiment a lot. And so uh, we created a system and took that out. And then at about the end of five years, we decided that we, well, the one thing that we did better than anybody else. And the one thing that seemed to make the biggest difference in people was fixing people's digestion because because of the modern food production and food distribution system, we've actually altered what food is uh, or what requires and, and a limited definition of that. And that with hospitals, you know, today, emergency hospital visits, 12% of them are gastrointestinal related Ill- illnesses. Mm-hmm. You look at heart disease, diabetes, uh, and cancer. Many of those are traced to dietary choices and lifestyle. And anything that you eat, it could become a toxin. And we wrote, you know, there's an opportunity for us here. So we, we rebranded our company to Bioptimizers and started focusing on educating people about why they needed to fix their digestion. What were the principles in a sequence, which we call the Awesome Health Formula, in order to integrate and to optimize their health in a, in a systematized, logical way that uh, was you could apply with limited resources or you could throw in as much resources you want and you determine that result. And uh, we've been doing that ever since. And of course we created a whole variety of digestive sweet products, which help augment people's uh, dietary choices. Well, I want to close out the first half by uh, putting a lid on the bodybuilding part because I want to spend the second half talking about optimizing digestion and why it's so important um, even to, you know, to, to all people, but especially to athletes, not even especially, but, you know, I think that athletes maybe miss this as they're training. Um, when you're going on a plant-based diet, I, you have to pay as much attention to the macros and, and um, uh, the micros as you do when you're on, um, you know, a paleo or a keto. Is that not true? I think some people would think that plant-based diets, you can eat any plant you want. But I would think when you're especially at the top of your game, you've got to be very specific with your macros. Well, it's even, yes, yes and yes. And there's another level. So I'm going to introduce a concept and this is the piece that I missed when I first started going on this. And it's a piece that everybody misses regardless of their dietary choices. And that is, it's a single canal from your mouth to your anus. So when you eat food, it's actually not in your body. It is in this canal. And 
your ability to digest, absorb, and assimilate the food that you're eating and turn it into either energy units or building blocks is directly uh, proportionate to the state of your digestive health. And that, and, and also the, the workers. So there's only two things that do work in your body, and that's enzymes and probiotics. These are the essential components that convert your food into energy or building blocks. And if you don't have them, uh, then you are, regardless of your macros, you are not going to be able to integrate those into the body because you're not able to break them down and utilize them. And so the basic fundamental assumption that I made and so many people make, which are is that they assume that if they're taking in 100 grams of protein or 400 grams of carbs or 100 grams of fats or whatever it happens to be, that that's getting inside the body. And, and my experience has shown that, you know, with, we've worked now with over 50,000 clients, that, that that's not the case and that people will be drawn to different diets oftentimes because of the way that their system might be compromised. You know, a lot of people that consumed a lot of sugar when they were kids uh, do really great on a, they'll see a transfer when they go to a keto diet. Same thing as if people had a high meat diet, they switch to a plant-based diet and they feel different and they mistake the change for the benefit. And the reality is, is even so that might be a short-term change, they don't address the actual fundamental issues of how their digestive system works. And so we realized that, you know, that's the key element. You know, Matt's a keto guy. That works good for him. I'm on a plant-based guy, and we own a company together. And so, well, how's that possible? Because so we're dietary agnostic. We're into biological optimization for people, and, and that entails anything and everything that will make every one of your cells functional at an optimal level. Perfect. That's a great way to close off the show because you've set our show off the, the half here because you've set us up perfectly for what I want to talk about in the second half. So everybody stay tuned. We've got a lot to talk about. We'll be back in a minute. When I look back over my life and all the times you brought me through, I just want to say, Father, when I was lonely and needed someone to hold me, um, you were beside me when my nights got cold and lonely.
and be a part of the show, email thh at radiomaria.ca. We now continue with the program. Here once again is your host, Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. We're talking with Wade Lightheart. Great first half to the show. Um, Wade, what is the key thing? You may be repeating yourself from the first half, but I want to ask you a pointed question here. What is the key thing that people can do to improve their digestive health? Great stuff. Well, I'm gonna, if it's okay with you, I'm going to just go through quickly what I call the five stages of digestion and then what are the key elements where Absolutely. people run into trouble. So, the, so we're designed to actually, the digestive process begins when we taste, touch, smell, and feel our food and then first put it inside our mouth. And literally, we get biological responses. We've all had our mouth watering when we think of dill pickles or maybe a barbecue time or all these kind of things that kind of get anchored. We can think about it and we actually get a response in the body, a nervous system response. And that's the preparation for our body to consume food. Classically the Pavlovian dog response uh, where the dogs would salivate. So that's the first phase. And then as you bring the food into your body, it's the mastication, which is a fancy name for chewing and how well you chew your food also helps in digesting it. One should chew their food thoroughly. The food then will travel down the esophagus into what's called the upper cardiac portion of the stomach. Now, a lot of people think that there's this big bowl of hydrochloric acid sitting there ready to burn up anything. That's not the case. Uh, Hydrochloric acid doesn't come into the picture um, until 30 to 60 minutes after you've consumed food. Now, here's a critical component for people to consider. Um, In that first stage, the enzymes present in the food are designed to start breaking that down. And key amino acids are cleaved at that point. Carbohydrates are starting to break down. And humans are the only species on the planet that actually cooks their food. And when you cook food, you actually remove all the enzymes. And when you process food, you remove the enzymes. And enzymes are 
present in over 25,000 biological uh, functions in the body. They're, they're, they're catalysts that accelerate uh, biochemical processes. They're essential from everything from thinking to blinking. And if I'm a, a tiger taking down a zebra, I'm going to eat the entrails or the enzymes and probiotics, and then I'm going to eat the carcass. If I'm a bear taking out a salmon, I do the same thing. If I'm or eating a blueberry, I consume the blueberry in a live state with all the enzymes present, which will help break it down when I eat it. If I'm a horse or a cow, I'll, I'll eat the most enzymatically rich grass, which will be the sprouts and things like that, because I'm going to get the most life force and the most amount of capability out of that product. I'll also get the bacteria that are correlated with it, like if you wash, take a carrot out of the garden, you just brush a little dirt off and you get the bacteria with it, you get the enzymes present, you get the phytonutrients, you get the sulfur, you get all these things that are devoid in our modern food production and distribution. Or, of course, we cook our stuff. And what happens without those enzymes, then our body has to manufacture our own, but that's not going to get released till later on the intestinal tract, and we're going to have undigested food right there. So that's problem number one. Second thing, we have uh, as, as that, you know, that second stage or that third stage when the hydrochloric acid starts to come into the body, the pH of that chime is going to change. Now, some of those enzymes are going to become deactivated and some are going to be activated as the pH change, particularly in the proteases. You know, you have 3.0, 4.5, 6.0 correlated to the various pHs that come in and different amino acids are going to break down and cleave. And these are essential to uh, building and repair inside our body. Once that chime is built up, now here's the thing. There's so many people that are getting prescriptions for, uh, you know, uh, heartburn and, you know, you know, acid reflux and things like that. And what most people don't realize is that there's a little sphincter on the top of your intestinal tract or on top of your stomach. It's called the esophageal sphincter. And if you're producing enough hydrochloric acid, once you get to a certain level, the flap closes. And if you don't produce enough, the flap stays open and some of the acid will splash up into the esophagus. And that's what creates heartburn and acid reflux. Mm-hmm. It's actually not enough acid. But if you go to your medical doctor, he's going to give you a proton pump or an antacid or you get an antacid across it, which will treat the symptom, but won't deal with the fundamental component. And then hydrochloric acid also serves another point. It's the major part of the disinfecting. It kills the bacteria, the viruses the pathogens, the parasites. And the average 40-year-old has less than 30% of the enzymes present and less than 30% of the hydrochloric acid they were producing when they were young. That's why oftentimes we can't eat or we don't feel as good on the food that we can, you know, put away when we were 20 with no problems at 40 years old, so we can't have those things that we used to have. After that phase happens, your body releases what's called bicarbonate buffers, which is a fancy name for minerals. That buffers the acids of the, in- the stomach and lets the food go in the intestinal tract. If you don't have those bicarbonate buffers, minerals, a high mineral-rich diet, what happens is people will end up with duodenal ulcers as, as the acid, instead of going up in the esophageal sphincter, will actually burn some of the intestinal tract, and that's where people run into problems. Then in that final stage, the probiotics inside the body, which is often referred to the microbiome, will break down the food to the final stage into either energy units or building blocks and your body will transport that through the hepatic uh, blood system into the liver and then manufacture whatever and then convert that into the rest of the body. And then the final stage is uh, the removal of the, whatever the waste is, which you know is a big issue for people with constipation and things like that if they're having diets or they're under a lot of stress or they're underhydrated or they have a disbalance in the microbiome. The microbiome is the collection of all the 
the bacteria in your intestinal tract. I always call the good, the bad, the ugly. And 10% are good, 10% are bad, and 80% are opportunists. That's why people, when they go to foreign places and have different diets or get exposed to different bacteria, they often get sick because there's actually a change in that microbiome that far exceeds what they normally have. And so where people run into problem is not enough enzymes in their diet or not enough hydrochloric acid or a disbalance in that delicate microbiome. Those three things are the number one areas where people have challenges. And everything else is a symptom of really those fundamental issues. And when you fix that, you tend to fix everything else. Um, Two questions I want to ask you. Do we have a finite number of enzymes? You know, a lot of people have been told that as we get older, as you mentioned, it's harder to digest some foods than others. Is that because our body's not producing them? We're born with a certain amount and they're finite? Or what is that issue from? Yeah, I'm going to defer to um, Dr. Edward Howell, who's kind of the godfather of um, the enzyme equation. He wrote a book called Enzyme Nutrition and Food Enzymes for Health and Longevity. And the one thing that we know for people who live the longest uh, is they tend to eat less than their peers. And what I do believe is that's preserving the enzymatic capacity of that organism. And, and Dr. Howell said that there is an inverse relationship between the amount of enzymes or what he called the enzyme potential of a living organism uh, and its lo- longevity of life. And so that kind of correlates with the the anti-aging stuff is eat less and you live longer. But I, And then you look at the healing components of fasting and why does fasting work? And what I believe fasting works because it frees up our body's enzymatic production. Instead of directing that all to digestion, it allows you to heal the body. And that's why I think fasting has taken on such a big trend or an intermittent fasting, which has been practiced for thousands of years, actually. Not new, but it's, it's becoming you know scientifically validated and proven. But I looked at it, well, what is the mechanism that's making the healing work in those situations? And it comes down to a bunch of enzymes. They're responsible for everything from thinking to blinking. So I said, well, what happens if you start supplementing with massive amounts of uh, external enzymes? Would this actually support the, the healing and recovery of the body or accelerate it or allow us to live longer and stronger? And it turns out that theory uh, caught weight and now it's becoming scientifically recognized that People who have uh, high levels of proteolytic enzymes, for example, are able to recover at a much faster rate than, than if they don't. Proteolytic versus all the other types, or are you pulling out those specifically? I'm using proteolytic in particular because I think that's the area that I think most of us are devoid in. And also, it's a, it's a very interesting thing. Athletes tend to focus a lot on protein consumption. Yes. Uh, because they want to sustain recovery. But, but it's interesting because your body is going to have to break down smooth and striated muscle in the body to make the enzymes in order to digest the food, because the proteins, because the enzymes aren't present in the proteins like we would naturally find if we ate a, a diet that was more conducive to how maybe our ancestors lived. So it becomes a self, you know, it, it just comes with a spiral, and the way to interrupt that is to add uh, enzymes in. Now, I focused on proteolytic enzymes. There are literally tons of enzymes. Like, we produce a product that has 17 enzymes, but proteolytic enzymes seem to have the one that has the most impact. Of course, if you have sugar, the big three are proteases, which break down protein, amylase, which break down carbohydrates, and lipases, which break down fats. Those three are the what I call the big three, and then there's derivatives of those uh, down the line, which are you know, available for various 
food products that people might consume. Well, deferring back to the to the athletes, um, a lot of athletes take amino acids, and with with the with the understanding that proteins are broken down to amino acids, so therefore we're doing our ourselves a service by bypassing the digestion of the protein, so that we have the amino acids. Where's the fallacy in that logic? Uh, well, there is no fallacy within that logic. Okay. Actually, it, it it makes sense. But what I would say, even then, you still require an enzyme to deliver that amino acid to the body, uh, although it'll be a much easier biochemical reaction than converting a protein into amino acids because we don't actually need protein. We need those amino acids. So what I would say, it's, it's, it's the right thinking um, as using amino acids, but then again, you can accelerate that again by adding enzymes to the mix and, of course, a balanced microbiome because it's still going to have to go through those uh, routes of digestion, absorption, and assimilation. Um, probiotics, uh, digestive enzymes, those are things that, you know, they're really not new. Um, people do use them. They've been trying to use them. They're, you know, a standard, standard of care. Even the medical profession is now recognizing the benefits of probiotics. Where are people going wrong when they're using these? Why aren't they seeing results? Well, you know, it's, I think last time I checked, there's something like 2,500 different probiotic companies. Mm-hmm. And I would estimate that maybe 5% are producing what I would call a therapeutic product, an actual medical grade product. Many of them are just riding the coattails of trends. And I think the first challenge that people make is, number one, they purchase a product based on price, not on effectiveness. There's nothing more expensive than a product that doesn't work. Number two they're randomly shotgunning a variety of what I call a mishmash of maybes. They're taking, you know, they say, well, here, this one says four strains. This one says eight strains. This one says 36 strains. Therefore I should get the 36 strain one. Cause that's going to be better. What they don't realize is oftentimes these strains are competing with each other. And the, if any strain that it doesn't have the right amount of food, which is called prebiotics or postbiotics, What's going to happen is they're not going to survive. They're not going to last 24 hours inside the body. And what happens is people take probiotics that aren't right for their diet or lifestyle, aren't right for their microbiome, are based on uh, ineffective products that are based in science or haven't been proven to be to work inside the body. And therefore, they don't get the results that they want because they only got a little piece of the the information and weren't able to apply it. So the theory was right, but the application uh, was incorrect just because I mean, you know, if you're not in the industry, sometimes it's really challenging to be able to determine what is a good product and what isn't a good product. And that's where you need to have uh, an authority in the field to help guide you and direct you to, to provide the specific products that are going to be right for that person. So what separates a good from a bad? Yeah. So I believe that the best uh, probiotic products um, have been either, they're either single strains, most of the research is on single strains, or they are developed with complementary strains for a specific task. In other words, they, they're, they're, you know, someone with some good science has designed that. They put the right prebiotics in. They put probiotics that support each other, and they put that together in order to make your body function. Second thing I would say, uh, I've found that freeze-dried works really better than ones that require uh, refrigeration. And the reason is when you go from manufacturing to distribution to storage to put them in source – the chances that you have changed temperatures uh, during that journey are pretty high, and that can radically alter whether you have probiotics in that product or not. The third thing is, is you want to have your probiotics devoid of any of the weird 
elements like uh, the fillers and binders or preservatives that are pervasive in a lot of products that you're consuming. So if you can't easily pronounce the words uh, outside of the bacteria, like the other ingredients, or they have these kind of additives or chemicals or, or fillers, then that's a company that's not basing the product on effectiveness. They're basing the product on marketing. Those are the three areas that I would identify first. And then if you want to get to the final stage, if you can go off and get a, a naturopathic doctor to do a gut map of you through stool samples or a Viome test or something like that, if you want to do a self-test, those things will give you insight into what bacteria you have, what ones are going to be supportive of your diet and lifestyle and your goals, and then which ones that you would require for the maximum benefit. Are you at that point in your product developments that you can, uh, are you dealing in probiotics or are you strictly enzymatic uh, products? Yeah, we we have uh, one probiotic that we use, which is what we call a universally uh, active probiotic. It's a patented strain that basically we, we created a super strain of probiotics by putting it through a very robust process that was proven scientifically that it was antiviral, antiretroviral, protolytic, in, and uh, was maintainable in the digestive tract. And so that's the beauty of a patent. We're also working on another formula, which is uh, products called Cognibiotics, which is a combination of Chinese herbs and the probiotics that actual manufactured neurotransmitters, because 95% of your neurotransmitters are made in your gut, by combining those two elements together so that we have both the, the workers and the building materials, we're able to alter the neurotransmitter production in people's brains and people start to feel, you know, happy or calm or these things because they didn't have access to that before because of a compromised microbiome. So these are how we go about it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, and we're happy to do so. We've been doing this for a long time. Are we at the point right now where there are specific strains that, that are being developed for specific diseases? And because I know that yeah. uh, where one strain does something in one individual, another strain can be doing the same thing um, in, in, in somebody else. So it's very difficult. It's a convoluted area. Yeah, it is. I mean, the average person has anywhere from two to 500 different types of strain, uh, strains of probiotics inside their body. Keep in mind, you'd be dead without these things. If you don't have bacteria inside your body, uh, that's it, your curtains. I mean, there's 10 times the amount of bacteria in your body than you have cells. So, And they're directly correlated and integrated with their nervous system. And I do believe that we are just opening the door, if you will, or, or stepping into the golden era of probiotics where I think within the next 10 years, we'll be able to not only develop specific uh, protocols for individuals that'll be widely accepted in the medical community. And then I think you're also going to see kind of what we've done, and that is the uh, culturing of advanced strains of probiotics to combat, you know, civilization, kind of the diseases that we've got from civilizations relative to a bacteria mm-hmm. overgrowth or underpopulation. I think you're absolutely right. Um, no, we're coming coming towards the end of the show, and, and I would be remiss if I didn't allow you to explain um, how important your uh, spirituality is into your overall health and a component that you value quite highly. Uh, we've talked about, you know, digestion and food and nutrients and, and, and supplements, but this is an area that you take great value in, your spirituality and developing your health. Um, tell us about how you continue to cultivate that. Thank you very much for bringing that up. Uh, when I was 22 years old, I had a near-death experience. 
and in that, uh, it was transformative in my perspective of divinity and spirituality and the role of uh, the human condition. And I realized that we were spiritual beings that were on a timeline that was far greater than a single lifetime. And I was then, years later, exposed to uh, Eastern philosophy and meditation and began meditating. And that opened up a whole vista of experience and perspective that wasn't available to me growing up in a traditional uh, Western family, you know, Christian uh, integration at the early years. And although those create a kind of a moral and ethical foundation, I think that served me, uh, it, it had limitations that weren't applicable. And those were answered inside of the, the Eastern philosophies and spirituality. Uh, by the practice, not of a dogmatic belief set by a religious idea, but actually going inside and, and, and being able to tap into one's kind of emotional and psychological aspects, both the light and the dark, and, and recognizing and let go that which was causing pain and suffering, and to integrate that which was leading to self-evolution and, and understanding and compassion. And uh, I've been doing that for about 20 years, and I continue to expand that. And it gives me context to my mission, to my life, to how do I relate to the world, to understanding that we're all part of the same aspect of consciousness expressed in all these different bodies and these different places and these different ideas. And it's all beautiful, and it's all amazing. And we have an opportunity to connect and integrate and optimize all of us, each and every, because that's all. as each of us raise ourselves up, all boats rise into the collective consciousness. And I've been very... Uh, deeply embedded in that on a daily practice, both in my personal life and in my professional life. It's been a real pleasure having you on the show. Your 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 light and your personality and your approach to health encompass uh, what I truly believe is needed for complete health. And uh, your vision is is something that I that I greatly admire. Um, we can reach you at biooptimizers.com if uh, people wanted to find out more about you and about your products and contact you. Is there any other sources that people can uh, get to you from? Yeah, if they go to biooptimizers.com slash health hub, um, I've created a 12-week uh, double Your Energy Awesome Health Course, which is basically the seven pillars of the philosophy I've ad, uh, I've ad, I advocate to our clients. It's a course that's about $6,000 worth of training. I actually give it away for free. Five to 15-minute videos. There's 84 of them in sequence so that one can put together a complete blueprint for their own health uh, pro- program and uh, basically taking what I've learned over the last 30-plus years and synthesizing it into a simple way I didn't invent all this stuff. I actually give, you know, where I got the information and the resources that people want to dive deep on any one of those subjects. And it's my service to the world. They don't have to buy our product. They don't have to do that stuff. It's just to kind of get into it and, uh, and, and get the benefits of, of having a healthy lifestyle. Wonderful. And it's a, certainly a name that everyone should remember when you want to go onto his site, Health Hub. Uh, Wade, thank you for donating your time. It's, uh, it's been enlightening. It's been a true pleasure. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me, Kathy. Everybody, we will talk to you next week on The Health Hub.
have been listening to The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi, here on Radio Maria Canada.